If Arsenal don't win this title, then it is the single biggest bottle job in <laughs> Premier League history by a yep. country mile. If we were bottle jobs for being second all season and not winning the league on two occasions, then them being top since August and not winning the league, having spent a lot of money on their squad as well, yeah, that would be the biggest bottle job this league has ever seen, bar none. I don't have any social media accounts, but I will set them up to bully children on the internet and I will absolutely <laughs> love every single... Make no mistake, I am ready. I am, I am ready and waiting for Excellent. I look forward to it. I thrive on bullying children. (laughs) (laughs) Please edit that out. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you each week by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. This week, the Leeds fan called Dave is on a limited schedule because we are recording this at about half past seven on Monday evening, of course, the evening that Leeds are going to be playing Liverpool. So uh, we're going to let Dave go. We're going to give him the uh, second half of this episode off so he can go and watch Leeds try and return all the favours the Spurs have not been doing them by beating Liverpool for us. Probably one of many teams that are going to overtake us very shortly, but more of that in just a bit. To help me talk about the ongoing disappointment that is supporting Tottenham Hotspur are the two Piliotis. Piliotai? I don't know. Whatever you guys call yourselves. Whatever the plural is, that's Elio and Socks. Socks making yet another appearance, and it's so good to have him back so quickly after what felt like an eternity between his last two appearances. So I'm going to waste no time coming straight to you, Socks. Welcome back to the show. Once again, you join us after an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, I think the last time I was on, you said the next time I'm going to be back is going to be under happier circumstances. I lied. I can't remember the promise, <laughs> but either way, that promise has been broken. I'm very sorry about that. In my defense, I didn't invite you this time. Elio brought you on, so you can blame him, yeah? Okay. Elio, welcome back. Well done for making it onto the show. I imagine you can think of several things you'd rather be doing and probably several football teams you'd rather be supporting at this moment. Your commute slightly shorter than it used to be, but I imagine this was no less miserable than your usual uh, four-hour drives back home. (laughs) No less miserable, no. Um, Only slightly punctuated in a positive way by brainstorming with socks for a good hour as I went through London traffic so that I had some material to rip off for this. I didn't think it through given that I invited him on the show, but (laughs) hey-ho. This could be interesting. And Dave, you've got the best part of half an hour with us today, which is plenty of time to complain about Spurs once again not doing you a favour and handing another three points to a team in the bottom half of the table. Are we friends at the moment? Are we still talking? Are we going to be okay? We're okay. I mean, in the truest words ever spoken by every parent in the world, I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm just really disappointed. <laughs> well, at least that's one thing that all four of us have in common. Or actually, I say that Elio probably is also very angry, but we'll get on to that. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about Spurs. So, of course, as if you need a reminding, we refer to our 3-2 loss at home against Bournemouth, which was painfully Spursy. And I think we all started talking about maybe supporting new teams after that. I know the WhatsApp chat started to go off down that tangent and say, you know what, maybe we should just support our local teams. Maybe we should just abandon Hang on, Spurs. hang on, hang on. You lost. Yeah. I was annoyed that you drew too old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you one of the many people, including those in the stadium that didn't see the end? Okay, Dave, fair enough. Yeah, I saw, I saw the second the equalizer went, oh, thank God for that. And turned <laughs> off. Well, Dave, you're, you're going to be in for a surprise as we get through the rest of this review. So yes, we we are, of course, going to be looking back on that game. Um, Elio, let me come to you first because I feel like I've asked you this question no fewer than maybe four or five times already this season. And the answer has each time been yes. Yes, it is. Was this the worst disappointment of the season <laughs> so far? I think it's so difficult to answer that question when there's <laughs> that many to choose from. What, yeah. I would say, what I would say is that... Having won, even with a bit of luck, last week, and then having started this game well, and let's not say just well because we're against a crap side, and make no mistake about it, Bournemouth are a crap side, but we have started really badly and played really badly against many crap sides like Wolves and Everton and Southampton. So actually playing well for the first sort of half hour, you dare to believe that this is a team who could have achieved mediocrity again, but no, (laughs) 
<laughs> Such lofty ambitions. No. <laughs> At the end of it all, we managed to snatch from the jaws of mediocrity bitter, bitter disappointment and shame. It reminds me of the Simpsons movie, that bit where Lisa says, this is the worst day of my life, and Homer goes, the worst day of your life so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what supporting Spurs is like. Here. Um, to a, another connoisseur of Spurs disappointment, Socks, I want to get your thoughts on that particular question, because are you actually still disappointed when this happens at this stage of the season, or have you just stopped caring now? Because it's hard to really know how to feel about Spurs at any given time at the moment. To be honest, I think anybody who hasn't effectively been lobotomized has probably given up on all hope before anyway. So I think it's at a point where for the remainder of the season, I wasn't looking for anything beyond performances. I think even had we won, I'd look at Newcastle and Villa and Liverpool away coming up and going, that's basically going to be zero points. And that's yeah. before gone. Yeah. But we can't even give the performance. We can't even... I think we're the only club that has voluntarily given up the idea of a new manager bounce because we just got still <laughs> so we're not even trying anything new it's not yeah. it's like oh well let's uh, if it were mason or someone of that ilk it would be okay a different formation a youth player would come into the team you'd start dan Juma over an underperforming kulisevsky there'd be something just on a week-by-week basis to at least make the 90 minutes potentially a little bit more enjoyable even yeah. the result was what it ended up being but it was one of those where to be honest the goal went in last kick of the game, full-time whistle blue, and I kind of felt nothing. And you sort of go through stages of grief with this sort of stuff. And the, the worst one, it's not the sadness, it's not the apathy. When you get to a point where a thing that you've yeah. loved and followed your whole life just becomes, do you know what? I don't even care. In the short term, there's that, all right, at least the pain mm. is numb. Hey, it's me from last week. <laughs> <laughs> Who's ripping off who now, Socrates? <laughs> no comment. Uh, but the, yeah. the long term of it is just, it's just a sad state of affairs when you've gotten to this point. And like Elio said, it's one of so many disappointments. That it's difficult to know where to rank it at this point. Yep. We're a bunch of spoilt, entitled babies, aren't we, Dave? You're sitting there thinking it could be so much worse. Or do we have a right to be this disillusioned and upset? Because you watch the game. I'm assuming you watch the game. It's always a bold assumption to make every week. but Or at least you've seen the highlights. And do you think that if you were in our position, you were in our shoes, you would be as upset? Not just with this performance, but it's being the cherry on top of the disaster Sunday that is our season. I was with you until you said cherry on top of a disaster of a season. The cherry was an accidental pun, by the way. Just checking just checking the uh, table yep still fifth okay um yeah, disaster so, season <laughs> it's a tricky one and i know that we're going to get into this but i want to get my get my shots in early because i'm going to run away what begets what the poor performance on the pitch or the angst in the stadium what's more likely to affect the other it's a question that can't be answered but i would say some of the things that happened in that stadium on Saturday Mm. aren't necessarily things that are helping you win football matches. Now, what comes first is obviously the 15 billion pound question, but yeah, it was a bad defeat, but as soon as they scored, I knew that you were going to lose. Why is that? Because we're Spurs or because the reaction to it? Because we're spineless. Because the reaction absolutely led to people making mistakes. Yeah. And people made mistakes probably because they were worried about there was going to be a reaction. Yeah. Now, the fact that it was completely you know, pinpointed against one person is not very nice at all. Yeah. But either way, it would have been negative. And that negative feeling, as much as a lot of people would like you to think that Premier League football doesn't need fans and it just needs loads of sponsorship and loads of subscribers from overseas, it changes the game. Yeah. You know, you'll we'll find it tonight. Leeds will play Liverpool and for the first five minutes, fingers crossed, touch wood, we won't concede a goal. And Leeds will perform well because they'll be up for it because they'll be due by the crowd mm. and hopefully Liverpool will get shook and we might, you know, get an early goal. And that is how a crowd helps. Yeah, But it feels like you're never going to get help from the Spurs crowd right now. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not blaming the Spurs crowd on their own because mm. it takes a team and it takes a lack of DNA to make people think that it's all going to go wrong and then lo and behold it does but i think nothing about saturday surprised me and that was the most frustrating thing about it because 
you know, I, as soon as Son scored, I was like, I dared to dream that maybe this might be a routine victory for Spurs, but yeah. then, it, then it all unraveled. It was like, yeah, oh, this was my of course, mistake. Of course, too. that's what's happened. Yeah. Well, we're normally very structured and organized on this show, and we work through the goals in chronological order. But in, in this instance, I'm going to kind of breeze past the song goal. We can come back to it later, but just because mm. you've touched on it, a very important topic, I think we should kind of start with the first goal, or not even the first goal. We should start with the Sanchez substitution, because that's one of the main talking points that's come out of this. And uh, I, this is confession time. I, I've got to own up to this because I feel about it but I've made a little meme and I posted it on our Twitter and you might have seen it and it was the WWF meme where I can't remember which restaurant it is but the Undertaker is sneaking up behind him and he's all happy and smiling not knowing that the Undertaker is about to take him out mm. and I've just put Spurs cruising to an easy home victory Davinson Sanchez and that's okay because he's never going to read that that was just a thing on our Twitter where I don't think he follows us if he does I'm sorry Davinson um, and I, I've since deleted it because of the way that he was treated and I just feel really really bad for him Elio I'm going to come to you on this because you were in the stadium you experienced this I assume you weren't one of those booing because that's mm. not your style and I know you're quite critical generally of booing but talk me through the whole Sanchez thing and how you feel about it so I'm just going to preface it a little bit. I'm um, just touching something Dave said in that, which I think is relevant in the sort of what comes first, the fans building up the players or the players giving yeah. the fans something to cheer for. I think it is always the player's responsibility to build up the fans. There's no exception to that. 100% of the time, it is the player's responsibility and okay. the coach's responsibility and the board's responsibility. It is the club's responsibility because ultimately... The fans are the ones that are there through thick and thin. They're the ones that are blindly renewing their season tickets every season. They're mm. the ones that were there before these players, coaches, owners, and who will still be there afterwards in whatever guys that takes. And they're the ones that pour their money into the club. And they're the mm -hmm. ones whose weeks are ruined by the actions of the club. So it is never on the fans to make the players play well. What I will say is that the fans are far more likely to be tolerant and accepting of an underperforming side if they can see players at least mimicking some of the feeling that the fans have and at least yeah. pretending that they care the way the fans care by putting in a proper shift. And that's something we've just not seen for from these players all season. Maybe they are putting in a proper... And you know what? I don't believe players aren't trying the hardest they can in the situation. But because of this style of play, this very passive, very backing off, very reactive style of play, they never really look like they're trying even when they are. So yeah. I think it's very easy for the fans to go toxic and that's just what happened the other day they broke the fans snapped i mm. don't condone what they did in the slightest in fact i thought it was abhorrent the way they jumped on sanchez i was discussing this with socks on the way home yeah. and both of us agreed that the very worst thing about the match was the fans and the way they treated davinson sanchez who isn't a very good player yeah. but also isn't a player you can ever accuse at any point in his career of giving anything less than his best. Yep. And we were bullying him as a collective fan base for the sheer mm. crime of being bad at his job. Jesus Christ, if I had 60,000 people come at me <laughs> booing every time I was bad at my job, which is we can far, more, often, <laughs> far more often in my life than I care to admit, then yeah. then I would probably wouldn't be here right now. So I'd probably be in a straight When you have 60,000 listeners, you wait for the reviews and what they're going to look like. It's going to make Davinson Sanchez look like a walk in the park. <laughs> I'm only kidding. So the fans' behaviour was disgraceful. Yeah. There is no excuse for booing an individual player at any given time, but we've got form for it. We did it to Hossam Ghali. Hossam Ghali was brought yep. on, played really badly, kept giving the ball away in a game that we were chasing when we were trying to get Champions League football and then hauled off having been brought on because by that point, every time he made the same bad pass, the same telegraph pass over and over, the fans were getting on his back during him booing him. Then he threw his shirt down right in front of where I sat at White Hart Lane as well, like right in line because I was right above the players' tunnels. And the jeering he got for that was monumental. Mm. And then the jeering he got several months later when Harry Redknapp, who had been installed as manager by that point, I think it was about a year later actually, tried to bring him off the bench, meant that Harry actually sat him back down and didn't bring him on. And then that was the end of Hossam Ghali's Spurs career. Yeah. That was a player who once upon a time got kicked in the face going for a ball, lost two teeth from that and had blood pouring out of his mouth mm. and still played on till half time. 
And that's how our fans treated him. So unfortunately, our fans are form for absolutely destroying players for the sheer crime of not being very good at their job. Yeah. Now, had the fans booed as the players came off at halftime, I wouldn't have been a huge fan, yeah. but I'd have said, you know, you're what? the team, fair you're play. the team there or the exactly. club even. And had they booed, take it out. Step. Exactly. And had they booed at full time, then totally justified. I still wouldn't have booed, <laughs> but it, no, I wouldn't. No. I would, I just wouldn't, but it would have been justified and I'd have understood it. Mm. But directing that abuse towards the guy and who knows what he's got on social media as well. I imagine there's going to be some racist comments and things like that in his way because Mm, social media in 2023, hello, but it's just disgraceful. It's still on the players to give the fans something to back them over. And right now, There is no reason to back this group of players, not in the slightest, no reason to back these coaches and definitely no reason to back this board. And that's why you did hear louder than ever, we want Levy out, we want Enoch out and Maurizio Pochettino chance because the fans feel like they haven't been heard for several years and they just want to be heard. It's an abusive relationship where we're being gaslighted at this point. I I would suggest that there probably is a circumstance where it is relevant to boo a player, but it's a lot farther beyond just being a bad player or having a bad game. I think they'd have to do something really bad outside of football or just show that they genuinely don't care or, you know, stick two fingers up to the crowd or something like that, but not just have a few bad games or be played because they're the best available in that moment and they're not as good as you'd like Mm. them to be. And it is a vicious circle, isn't it? I mean, you, you get to the point where we nearly had this with Emerson. Emerson was getting booed for coming onto the pitch and having the mere audacity to do his job for us. And luckily it didn't destroy him and he's actually bounced back and he's looking quite good now. And we probably really run the risk of that not happening. And it should be a lesson to some Spurs fans that maybe we should support our players a little bit more and get behind them, even if they're not brilliant and even if we're not doing very well. Uh, Sos, what's your take on this whole thing? Because I know you've been in many a Spurs hostile crowd and uh, heard a fair share of booing. Where do you stand on the whole thing? It's a really difficult one to unpack. I, I completely agree with basically everything Elio just said. I think we've spoken a lot this season about feeling really... Disclaimer, I did not feel that from Sox. <laughs> agree with, yeah. yeah. I signed off on everything Elio just said. Yeah. yeah, we've spoken a lot this year about being sort of detached from the team and detached from the club. This to me, I don't want to sound melodramatic and it's sometimes really easy to be hyperbolic when something is yeah. very raw and it's like 24, 48 hours after the event. I thought it was not just the low of the season, but genuinely one of the lowest lows I have ever had supporting the club. I thought it was that bad. In all of my years supporting Tottenham, for however bad we have been, I've always been able to go, ah, but our fans, we've got some of the best fans, some of the loyal, Mm. most loyal supporters. And you'd look at, you know, having arguments with your Arsenal mates from school and going, well, look how you treated Abue when you booed him off the pitch. And Jacques did it with him a few years ago and that sort of stuff. That's us now. Uh, I thought, uh, I apologize in advance for the bleep, but I thought it was absolute and utter f***ing disgrace. (laughs) The entire thing, I thought, I'm I'm honestly surprised Elio didn't go harder. I was expecting a Sean Lonstaff, Joey Barton, almost like Chinese buffet (laughs) orgasm of just insults to the point we had to edit out the whole whole thing. I thought it was... I thought it was disgusting. And if it if it were me, again, not to be too melodramatic, but I'd want to blast every single one of those fans off into the sun. I completely <laughs> agree with everything Elio said about, look, it is really important to mention that Elio mentioned the ticket prices. It's the most expensive in the world. We mentioned it before. Yeah, Football is a part of life, an important part of life that people have families, children, bills they've got to pay, heating they want to put on in the winter. Mm. And while no one is putting a gun to our head and forcing us to support Tottenham, season ticket holders will know it's a really, really difficult thing to give up. Yeah. It is interesting. Oh, I'll stop next year and I'll come back the year after. There are supporters that have been incredibly loyal and have been going year in, year out, year in, year out. And you've got a club that has made bad decision after bad decision over the last four years. So I almost feel like the booing towards Sanchez is more of a sort of symbolic booing, if you want, of just the frustration of the supporters in the same way that if you remember the substitution that Nuno made that ultimately sealed his fate last season, where I think it was Lucas Moura that got subbed off uh, home to Man United and everybody booed that sub. It wasn't really yeah. about the substitution. That was almost immediate. Yeah, that wasn't booing the player, was it? The club at and the he time. would have known that, you'd like to think. Pretty much. This yeah. was a very similar version, but 
but worse in the sense that it was targeted towards one individual. And I think that is the line that you you simply do not cross. And that is the problem with Tottenham at the moment is you have so many factors that are going wrong at any given moment and there isn't anything particularly positive about the club. You have people who are desperate to let out that anger. And like I said, I don't consider myself to be a better supporter than anybody or a worse supporter than anybody because I boo or I don't boo. I don't want this to be a lecture on, oh, well, I'm a better fan than you, even though I have obviously come on very strongly on the booing of an individual player. But the reason I've come on strongly is because Elio used the word. I I almost feel like we need to stop using the word booing and substitute it with the word bullying because that's essentially what it was. Booing almost implies the team didn't do very well. I've paid a lot of money for this. It'd be like going into a restaurant and then, you know, you don't like the amount that you've paid for your meal and you start booing the waiter. So be a bit bizarre. (laughs) I don't think it's the right way to do it. But essentially what you've done is you've expressed your discontent. You've you've Mm. left a bad review. You're not going to go on Trustpilot to leave a bad review on on Tottenham. You're going to boo the the team off. But what we did was tantamount to effectively bullying. And I know that people will make the the counterpoint that, oh, Davidson Sanchez is on 80 grand a week. He's had a life that many of us would... uh, would yeah. only would have ever dreamed of. I understand that, but earning a lot of money doesn't mean that you are going to be completely immune to racism. Yeah. To having- he's a twenty-seven-year-old man yeah. with a uh, young family and is living a life like yes, he's very fortunate to do what he's doing, but he's he's still just blood and salt like the rest of us. It's it's not, fucking disgraceful. And and bullying is the only word for it. And as proven by the fact that he was getting booed for Poro's mistake. Yeah. Now, I'm very palpably aware we've got yeah, five minutes left I was about to say, so, Elliot, let, me, let me cut you off there. Just two things. First of all, I, I was actually quite relieved, Sox, to hear that at no point during your childhood did Elio actually hold a gun to your head and make you support Spurs, because I did have my suspicions. Um, and secondly, Dave, you have five minutes minus the time I just took to make that little joke to tell us about anything you'd like, because this is your last outing on this show. Whether it's just about Spurs or about football fans... Or just whatever you want. This is this is exciting. So you've just triggered me, socks. So I've just jumped on TripAdvisor, uh, and Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is number one hundred and eight of two thousand five hundred ninety-eight things to do in London. That's not so bad. you know, are there any reviews bad, you can read actually, us? You know, that was for Beyonce decent, and decent the Skywalk, reviews. or is that the problem? <laughs> yeah, roughly, roughly a four four point five. I mean, it's all about the Skywalk. So apparently, the Skywalk's great. Pizza's yeah. good. Goal line bar, great day out. Could have spent all day looking yeah, around. Yeah, nice point for the poor from the bottom up. Probably looking for the trophy cabinet. <laughs> oh, Dave. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> but my main point was, it feels like the fans that did that, and you know, I'd, I'd like to think that we're all good people and we're all trying to be good people. They just have options. They're just in a situation where everything that they've done so far isn't working, and the mm. only and the only thing that they can do is resort to that player on the pitch not doing a good job. Mm. So. I don't sympathize with it because I think it's wrong. But at the same time, I understand why it's happened. It's just, dare I say it, a uh, unsurprising turn in this broken country that we live. There you go. You know, what? I think, that? yeah, understanding why it's happened while condemning it is probably the best way to think about it. And that that is very much why I wanted to emphasize that it is still the club's job to get us happy, not our job to get them performing. Mm. And why ultimately this was the result of the Spurs fans reaching breaking points. If this was the first bad performance and the first defeat in sort of six or something, or we'd been on a good run or we were having a good season and we were sort of comfortably top four in the semi-finals of the FA Cup, that kind of thing. No way would they have gotten Sanchez's back the way they did. Yeah. No way would have they snapped like that, in my opinion, but still doesn't justify it. It was just, there's nothing to like about us right now. We've turned into Chelsea just without the rubles. Chelsea <laughs> without the success or money. One thing, one, one thing I would say is that we don't need him, so I'm not going to say that we absolutely would. But if Davinson Sanchez is available to 10 billion, there's every chance that there's a footballer in there and somebody will buy him and make you guys look really stupid. And he would look absolutely fine in a Sean Dyke I don't think it's even that. I think he could. If Brighton spent 10 million pounds on him, he'd do a he job. He's a fresh start, doesn't he? I say the same job. thing about Harry Maguire. I think there's a half decent player there. He just needs to go somewhere where people have a clean slate and he can. You've taken it too far, No, Dex. No, I stand by it. Let's swap. Do a straight Sanchez's- swap. Sanchez's big issue, and I don't want to make this conversation about him because Too late. there's a bigger issue at large, but Sanchez's main thing is that he hasn't learnt in five, six years at the club at all. He's making the same mistake, which is he's a little too confident in his pace, 
So he gives players an extra yard before he starts running rather than starting to run the second they get the ball. He's a little bit too confident in his ability on the ball. So he tries the pass or he stays in the ball a little bit longer than he should do. He's a little bit too confident in his strength. So he'll get too close to the big man. Basically, he's not lost the arrogance of youth in the slightest. And as a centre-back, that is dangerous because you are the last port of call before someone has a shot. Last save minute before kickoff. I will use it saying some more incredible reviews. <laughs> Mainly the headlines. Great stadium. Amazing views. Skywalk was brilliant. Wonderful tour. Lovely day. Great few hours. Obviously didn't watch a game. Great day out. Cues, 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 and not enough beer. So, was that you, Elliot? Um, generally speaking, it sounds like You've got a really nice stadium, guys, so well done. That's something. Whoever said brilliant views obviously wasn't looking at the pitch. <laughs> well, with that, Dave, we wish you the best of luck. I'll be on in 10 minutes when we're 2-0 down. <laughs> yeah, well, well I, I must say, I'm keeping an eye on it. So I've opened up the Now TV app, so I've got the tiny little mini preview box next to my notes right now. So uh, apologies if I get distracted. But, Just um, text me saying, come on back. Come on back, Dave. <laughs> I will. I'll know, I'll know when to expect He's you. He's already dead. I'll know when to expect you. Well, you're kicking off. So best of luck, Dave, and we'll catch up with you later. Peace out. <laughs> so back to the game, because we do have to talk about it. Everything we just said about Sanchez, everything we just said about the wider issue, totally agree with it. But he was quite rubbish, let's be honest. <laughs> I hate to say it, but he was at fault in part for that goal. But he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one. I think Poro also... Are we talking about goal number one? I, yes, we are. Because he was goal also number one, at fault. Poro makes the big yeah. mistake. Poro tries to dribble where he shouldn't. Yeah. Sanchez is caught flat-footed. And then Lloris, in my opinion, should be standing up there, not going down. And if mm. Lloris stands up there, then he gives the guy a lot less space to aim for. And the annoying thing is, I feel like all three goals were quite similar in a way, in the way that the ball actually did get past our goalkeeper. So I'm not sparing him from blame Fair either. Fair enough. Okay. This is all over the place, but let's try and take it back to the first goal. Let's jump back. I want to make sure we don't miss anything because, you know, there were a lot of goals, a lot of actions. So it was looking really rosy, so it wasn't at the beginning. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but and I think you touched on this earlier, but I thought, okay, I know whispers, and I know I've seen it before, and I know I should know better, but I think we're going to be okay today. When that goal went in, there hadn't really been too many problems up until that point. It was a nice goal. It wasn't particularly well defended. Son seems to be finding form again, which is a nice positive to take out of this whole mess. Be honest, did you think a 1-0, this one we might actually get through? I did, only because we kind of kept pushing a bit after the 1-0. I think Son hit the ball. That was a very good save. It hmm. wasn't the usual, let's default to defending immediately afterwards. And even no. at 1-1, it felt that a, a team against Bournemouth with, they're no great shakes, obviously, defensively, they're relegation contender for a reason. And I know we've had this sort of conversation about Southampton and Everton as well, but these other teams, if you're going to be cautiously optimistic about any game, Bournemouth at home surely has to be one of them across the season. Yeah. I don't think we played all that badly. I do think Stellini mentioned it after the press conference that we are still defaulting to being a little bit too defensive and that was ultimately our downfall. It's like mm. every game we give maybe five minutes more than we did the last one in terms of going forward and then everybody's like, okay, time to sit back now. It's like something that has almost been and programmed into the squad going as far back as Jose. And the defence is the worst part of our team and has been for several years now. So the second we do that, that's the point where the switch flips and it's like, okay, this is more than likely only ever going to go one way and sadly, that's how it transpired. Yeah. So you're saying that Jose Mourinho is actually at fault for all of this. It's all his fault, yeah? (laughs) Jose, Nuno, Conte, (laughs) Stellini, all of them. It's been the world's worst relay race. They've all kind of been handing the baton onto one another, but the actual sort of mentality, uh, to be fair, the players have changed a fair bit even since Jose's time Mm. here. But when you have, when did uh, Conte come in? November 2021, when you've got a solid year, year and a half or whatever it is of, okay, we score and then we sit back. This is the impact of coaching. If you think about it from the reverse, think of what Pochettino coached into us in terms of always attacking, relentlessly pressing. This is essentially that, but in reverse, it's something that becomes automatic. It's something that becomes second nature. We've had multiple coaches now speak about how we are sitting back, but that's a consequence of having this done for a year and a half. And it's not going to change from now until May. So we will probably be having this discussion, if not next week, then the week after, if not that, then the week after that. We even score. And it's interesting, the contrast that you bring up in the mentality thing. I was watching Man City Leicester the other day and Haaland scored his first two goals in the first half and then came off at half time because Pep doesn't care about my fantasy team. Um, (laughs) In the celebration, you could hear them all by the corner flag right by the microphones and Harlem was like come on we go again we go again and this was 2-0 
And Spurs in that case would be, sit back, sit back. <laughs> let's, let's protect this 2-0 lead. They wanted another goal. And, and okay, they won 3-1 in the end, but Leicester did score a goal. And had it been two at that point, they might have believed in you know, a different game going into the last 10 minutes of that. And that's, I think, the key difference that we have in our mentality compared to the teams we want to be. Elio, let's talk about the second goal. <laughs> Unfortunately, once again, Sanchez was quite badly done on this one, wasn't he? But you can kind of sympathize at this point, given what he had been subjected to up until that point, and obviously probably the right decision to bring him off. I, w- I just wish our midfielders were playing through balls the way he did for that goal. <laughs> he put it on a plate I thought for you were going to be nice. I thought you were going to cut him some slap there, but no. We're going we're gonna to criticize where it's nah, due. No, it was right in front yeah. of me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel sorry for the way he was treated, but that was right in front of me, and that was shoddy would be kind. It was just amateur. It was atrocious. It was complete and utter toilet. And I think the sooner we move on from talking about that, uh, the better. With that in mind, let's move on from talking about that. And let's talk about, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun a little bit here in terms of the chronology, chronology of the game. A second podcast in a row where I've had to double check a word exists. Um, Is that the point at which we decided to experiment with a revolutionary 4-1-5 formation? (laughs) Because I had no idea what's going on. This was like when you're losing on Football Manager and you know you're going to reload your save state anyway, (laughs) and you just put about six attackers on the pitch to see if you can salvage a result because we went really no, I really think odd. at that point it was just a simple 4-2-3-1 oh, okay. it was just a very simple on. Sanchez came off and Danjuma yeah. came on and and that's what we went with and then eventually we did go for the f- 4-1-5 we, I think, I think yeah, we made it 4-1-5 we were trying to put it together in our heads but yeah my, my point is this is when Danjuma came on because of course he scored the equaliser with a goal that I must admit until today when I rewatched the highlight I completely forgot had happened which is a lot to say about a really lovely strike and his first goal for Spurs in the Premier League that's how much this game had just made me want to forget everything I forgot that Danjuma had scored this goal Sox tell me about that goal I did think it took a bit of a yeah. nick but it was a well struck shot he positioned himself well to take it and he was the most exciting attacker that we had even though he barely had half mm. the time of the rest of them I'm just glad we had- it was nice seeing him actually run past people down the right wasn't it actually seeing mm. him get him behind well, really it was also it. I think there was at least a couple of times where he ran half the length of the pitch to pressure Bournemouth when they were on the attack it was it was almost as if because he hasn't played he hasn't been coached into the context to lead away <laughs> so what you're seeing is a player that has been coached by another manager yeah. somewhere coming to our side I don't know if he's particularly good or if he just stands out massively compared to everybody else that we've got mm. but I almost feel because we have very little to play for from now to the end of the season I almost feel we should start hitting him almost every game because whether it's Sana Kulisevsky okay Sana has been decent in the last couple yeah. of games to be fair to him Kulisevsky has had a poor four or five months mm. at this point we have very little to go for why not just start Van Juma in the next seven games whatever it is we've got left to see if he's a player worth signing because none of us particularly know all we have is these it's like watching a player on YouTube it could be Messi or it could be the next Andros Townsend at this point it's like okay he's had a good 25-30 minutes he's again we are really feeding off breadcrumbs but at least it's something to look forward to because it's effectively a new signing I'd like to see him play against Newcastle and every other game subsequent to that I like it yeah I'd agree with that I'd agree with that I think the other two haven't exactly pulled trees funnily enough despite missing what about half the season so far I do believe Kulisevsky is still our highest assister in the Not league Perisic? so I would be loath to drop him must be close um, no I'm, I think it's Kulisevsky with six okay. but even, even so like I think sacrifice his centre back and play Danjuma in a front four please We the, the three at the back clearly doesn't work for us let's weight ourselves where we do have a little bit of quality which is in our forwards and see what can happen at, at the very least we might enjoy the final half dozen matches of the yeah, season maybe not weight ourselves quite as heavily into a 4-1-5 formation from the start but I think a lot of Spurs fans would agree with you on that one Elio um Harry Kane, the rush yeah, central I mean, that midfielder. Was mad. We'll get onto that in a second because obviously that was how we finished the game. But um, Sox, same question again at 2-2. Were you remotely confident that we could actually see it out at that point when we equalised? I think at this point all semblance of normality had been yeah. lost because it was full of Aussie dealers in the mid-90s. <laughs> it was you spent half the time just trying to figure out what was happening yeah. and it sort of went completely end-to-end. And to be honest, it was one of those where I think by that point I realised do you know what? I don't really care. I just kind of want this to end yeah. for better or worse because of how manic and desperate everything had seemed. To be honest, I was still kind of reeling from the Sanchez thing. So I think I'd personally mm. just sort of 
disconnected and was just sat there just yeah. absolutely flopping at the mouth. <laughs> but again, I think uh, the undercurrent of that, it's Bournemouth at home. For as much as we say that we're disconnected and for as bad as we are this season, I can't remember the last time I watched a Spurs side for as bad as we've been. And I thought mm. we're probably not going to get anything against Bournemouth at home. So... <sighs> And look, to be fair, we did have our chances to win. I mean, it was right before the third Bournemouth goal. Richarlison. Richarlison, right, with uh, an absolute assist. Obviously, he has scored prior. I'm starting to think the guy is cursed. It was, at least with this one, it was a a correct offside call. I like the one against, I think it was Nottingham Forest a couple of weeks back, which is one of those where they have to start bringing out, you know, millimetre rulers to... (laughs) to sort of see if it was actually offside or not. But he missed the Giltex challenge. I still have faith in him, and I don't think we're probably going to be able to judge him until the end of next season. Maybe that's been massively deflecting and being incredibly insecure and defensive about it because he's been really, really crap. Mm. I don't really know. But we had our chances to put them away. It's not as if... I mean, it's, it, it's what, uh, half a foot or something like that, and we're sat here talking about a 3-2 victory. So sometimes yeah. this is just sort of the fine margin to football. But given the context of our season it's very easy to sit here now and go typical Tottenham that was predictable we all knew that was coming I'm not sure we all knew that was coming but it's the sort of thing that feels like the right thing to say now we all knew it could come (laughs) we didn't necessarily know it was coming yeah I mean poor Richardson I I think I'm starting to agree with you on the curse thing because not only did he have the goal disallowed but obviously as you say he had a really good chance and he headed it just wide and I was listening to Alistair Gold's podcast earlier and he was saying pretty much what you were just saying Socks in that had that header gone the right side of the post we'd all be sitting here saying wow look at Stellini he threw attackers on he did what we've all been saying Spurs should do all along and actually took a defender out and went for it and took a chance and it paid off what a tactical genius instead we're saying Conte light Conte mark to sack him now and bring in Scott Parker or whatever the rest of it is um Elio was there part of you that was uh, slightly begrudgingly respectful of the fact that we actually at least went for it even though it meant that we lost the game I was glad that we did. It was it was refreshing to see us do it. It was maybe even a bit too devil may care <laughs> for my comfort levels to tell you the truth because we weren't exactly light on forwards mm. anyway. But you know what? It was so late on in the match after I'd already kind of decided I just want to go home that it didn't even being in there. It didn't register. I, I don't even know actually. And I left at the final whistle. I didn't leave early like many fans did. Yeah. I left at the final whistle. I can't remember if the fans booed at the final whistle or not because everything was just a bit of a blur at that point. I was just so focused on getting the hell out of there. It's untrue. That's what Spurs have done. I think we should change Richarlison's number for next season. Okay. I think the number nine is a cursed number at <laughs> Spurs. I think since Dimitar Berbatov, it has just been a horror show. So going back throughout the Premier League, Anderson had it, but we can't really count him because he's a winger and he was also quite yeah. good for us. Les Ferdinand was atrocious with it. Freddie Canute was decent with it, but didn't really score many goals. And then it was inherited by Gregor Raziak, yeah, who, um, well, I, less mm. said the better. Dimitar Berbatov had it for a couple of years and was absolutely wonderful with it. The number nines we've had since Berbatov are Roman Pavlyuchenko, huge signing, absolute failure. Roberto Soldado, huge signing, absolute failure. Vincent Janssen, pretty big signing, absolute (laughs) failure. And then one season of Gareth Bale, where he actually did hit double figures in the end, but he was treated like crap the entire time by Mourinho, so you can't exactly... He was, he, we yeah. failed him, exactly. So I just think we need to not have a number nine at Spurs, or if we do have a number nine, we should give it to, I don't know, we should, we, we should give it to someone we re, we should re-sign Danny Rose Sanchez. and give him the number nine. That's what give we should Sanchez. do. But then he, but then he won't be R9 of Brazil. I thought that was quite cool. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's, you know, talk about pressure being a Brazilian number nine. I mean, gotta live up to that. Elio, I've, I've known you, well, my entire life so far. And, uh, and that's the first time I've ever, ever heard you describe a formation or tactic as too attacking. <laughs> Even in FIFA or oh. Football Manager, that I've never seen that. You're you're like an Oziadilis, but you know, hopefully with slightly more tactical now and, okay. yeah, and and a bit a bit taller as well. Uh, I'll give you that. So um, I'm trying to scrape the bottom of this barrel here to drag out some positives, and we've touched on a couple already. Socks, you mentioned that Dan Juma looks bright and obviously scored a goal, and hopefully we get to see a little bit more of him, even if it is in a four-one-five formation. Son 
looks good and not just in this game and not just that he's scoring goals he's actually playing the way we want Son to play now so what do you think of I want to say the new look human Son it's the old look human Son really he's kind of slowly without wanting to jump the gun looking a bit back to his usual self I think he actually spoke about it before the Bournemouth game and he said something about how he didn't feel like he's allowed to shoot yeah well he was saying he wasn't getting into positions this season where he was last season that allowed him to shoot in terms of maybe receiving the ball with his back to goal Mm or not on the half and all that sort of thing so for the longest time we've been wondering has he just sort of lost that half a yard of pace like what the hell happened from essentially May 2022 to August 2022 where the guy went from the absolute peak of his career to couldn't trap a ball had the first touch of a bouncy castle and as it turns out I mean people have been theorizing in terms of oh is it him playing with Perisic I mean he played with Perisic over the weekend and I thought it was one of his best performances yeah, this season good point. with Perisic and, and Tom for that matter yeah. so I do think whatever reason Conte clearly changed something to the untrader that we couldn't quite see tactically Son being the sort of diplomat and professional that he is isn't really going to come out and say something during the season Stellini has adjusted whatever that was and now we're seeing the Son that we're used to it's not a case that he's lost a yard of pace or half a yard of pace. It's not necessarily a psychological thing, which would have played a part because when you're scoring, I don't know, three goals a season at the halfway point Mm. or whatever it would have been in the last year when you got the golden boot, that's going to play some sort of part. But it's nice to see that, okay, this isn't something that we're going to have to... My focus is fully on next season now. I mean, I've completely sort of checked out. So my first thought with Son is, okay, at least we're not going to have to immediately replace him for next year. Yeah. I mean, he's 31. We're going to have to start. And you'd hope we've started succession planning behind the scenes already at this point. But again, another individual thing to hopefully look forward to between now and the end of the season is him keeping up this form, building his confidence back, and then he can hit the ground running next year under a better manager that will be able to get the best out of him. Absolutely. Although I would say just, the, the only addendum to that would be, and the other thing I don't understand is you could make the argument that Conte got the best out of him last year. As I'm saying aloud, I'm thinking to myself, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> if I'm sat here saying that last year was his best ever year, Conte was the manager for the majority of that. Mm. And then this year I'm blaming Conte. Uh, did Conte just sort of cut his nose off to spite his face for seemingly no reason? That's the bit that is still the mystery to me. But either way. Last season, he hadn't had a Conte preseason. This year, he mm. had. Yeah. I think it's that simple. Could well be. One thing that I find interesting, actually, talking about Stellini's comments and looking at silver linings or potentially trying to find Mm. the positives. I can't remember his words. I'm being a typically bad host and not prepping very well. I'm preparing for this podcast about where the Spurs prepare for the game. Um, He said something along the lines of, Kane's our most creative best passer so we we dropped him deeper and that was a deliberate thing that wasn't just Kane being Kane and dropping into midfield because that's what he does anyway I think that was actually the game plan at the point where we went to that ridiculous formation do you reckon and this is hopeful is there any chance we might see him playing in a more kind of nominally reserved role in future games and hoping that we start in a 4-2-3-1 is a bit ambitious but if we at least go to that formation do you think we might see Kane playing as a sort of trick artista playmaker number 10 that we've all been dreaming of behind someone like Son or Richarlison or whoever wants to go in ahead of him I'd like to see it I mean there's one thing Kane doesn't do anymore and that's run in fact (laughs) if a pass isn't played perfectly into his feet then he's not interested he's basically turned into Dimitar Berbatov but I said Messi less less interesting you went a bit closer so I think Kane dropping 10 yards further back on the pitch with Richarlison in front of him to do all the running for him makes sense. I've said for a couple of years now that I think Kane needs to decide whether he wants to be a 9 or a 10 now because doing both is absolutely gassing him. And I stand by that. I think despite his great goal haul this season, Sox was saying the other day that he doesn't think Kane's had a good game in months and months and months. He has had a few good games. He was obviously very Mm. good against Manchester City, West Ham, Chelsea in those matches. But generally, this Harry Kane isn't the... Harry Kane that we remember from the first half of his 20s that was single-handedly bullying Premier League defences for 90 minutes long this is a player that's had a few big injuries a more selfish mentality because he's probably in the place of well if I've got to be at Spurs I may as well think of myself first in the team seconds so I think 
yeah, bring him 10 yards further back on the pitch, have someone else do his running for him. Or maybe it's not even as simple as make him more withdrawn. Maybe it's just a case of putting legs around him. Richarlison, Son, Kulisewski. Kulisewski presses better than anyone in this league. Have these guys do all the legwork for him and let him have the space to yeah. do his thing. I mean, he's good enough to indulge him in that. It's just a case if there's any manager at a decent level in world football who would indulge a player like yeah. that. And we haven't seen, I mean, Guardiola doesn't. Exactly, exactly. It's really interesting to see what happens again, actually, because I think there are almost two timelines where you could imagine his career going one way or the other. And depending on what he wants to do and how he progresses, if he does lose a bit of pace, lose a bit of fitness, you could almost imagine him dropping back and being a bit like the way you see Messi play now where he kind of picks the ball up on the halfway line and sprays it around mm. and just kind of drifts into position to make things happen or you could see him going the other way and becoming like a late stages Cristiano Ronaldo and just being a goal scorer just getting his head on the end of the ball and being a poacher I imagine he'd probably be a little bit more the former if he's going to go one way or the other I imagine a 35 year old Kane is more likely to be glorified midfielder but like you say he could kind of go either way depending on what he decides to do with his career mm. but it's really interesting to see anyway um, hopefully we we get to see some of it or at least we get to see some of it at Spurs but I'm sure we'll have plenty of other times to talk about that speaking of silver linings Newcastle just lost and they are our next opponents they lost 3-0 to a very informed Villa who unfortunately are now right behind us as we mentioned last week uh, Socks what do you make of Newcastle this year because we spoke about them a few times but I don't think you've had your chance to give your thoughts are they the real deal and do you think this is the last chance we have for potentially a long time to actually finish above them I mean I think they're massively ahead of schedule Elio mm. speaks a lot about clubs that have better teams and then clubs that have a coach that is able to get the best out of his players yeah. I think that's where Newcastle are at it is worth saying that I think they've spent a couple of hundred million in the last 12 months but they've bought sensibly number one and number two the plays that were there that nobody thought very much of you think of somebody like say a Miguel Almiron or Joe, Joe Linton <laughs> long or, or Longstaff or Daryl Murphy or whomever it may be yeah. how has done a brilliant job and he's actually been a manager that's long been been linked with Tottenham yeah. and you're seeing him do an actually brilliant job there and I don't think anybody really would have thought Newcastle would have been in and around the top four this season you were looking at them and thought okay outside of the traditional top six Newcastle will be the best place there to challenge and then they'll start sort of slowly slowly building I think your second question is probably the scariest one because where we are as a club at the moment we're already shopping in the same sort of store as Liverpool and Manchester United and all these clubs you can now add Newcastle into the mix so for example mm. both ourselves and Newcastle have been heavily linked to somebody like James Madison yeah. if they finish fourth which they probably will do I mean I, I don't think we will do it either way so irrespective of whether they finish fourth or not all of a sudden they're a more enticing project or you'd think so mm. anyway they have more money than us so it, in terms of wages it is going to be a particularly big issue but they're yet another problem for us to solve when we're going in to sort of sign a player so whilst I don't think this is going to be the last time that we ever go toe-to-toe with them You've seen it happen with Chelsea. You've seen it happen with Man City. Yeah. There's more to see. It's probably going to go that way than the other way. There are shades of when we beat Man City on the final day to get into the top four. It's a bit like that season almost when we knew that sooner or later, all their money is going to kick in and they're probably going to be out of sight. So let's try and sneak in ahead of them while we still can. Well, I think that summer we signed Galas, Sandro and Van der Vaart and they signed Yaya Toure, Edin Dzeko, yeah. David Silva. And you're mm. like, which, who was the team that's just qualified for the Champions League here? And that was it, Sayonara. Exactly. I'll not hear anything ill spoken about Sandro or Van der Vaart. Great signings. Oh, I love all three, including Galas. They were all brilliant yeah. signings, but by comparison... Yeah, it's a funny one, this Newcastle game, because had we beaten Bournemouth as we should have, then we'd be going into this game level on points with them and there'd be a lot of pressure on them to do us because even though they'd still have the game in hands, if we beat them and went three points ahead of them, they'd have lost two on the bounce at that point, one of which being to us. It would have been hard for them going into the final run-in and I'd be fairly confident of nabbing that fourth spot as a result. The way it is now, I mean, this is typical Spurs. We have yeah. the opportunity to to make up grounds. We we pissed it away. The way it is now, if we don't win this game, it's over. Over. I mean, I think it's over anyway. To tell you the truth, because whatever happens, they'll have the game in hands on us afterwards. But if we don't win mm. this match, then it's done. And I just don't see any logic to suggest that we can win this match because while I do think we have a better collection of players at the club Newcastle have a bunch of players that are fighting for each other and fighting for their fans and they've got something to prove Harry Kane doesn't have anything to prove 
Spurs all time top scorer, England all time top scorer, Son. Korean all time, uh, actually, he's not their all time top scorer, I don't hmm. think, but top ever Asian player in the Premier yeah. League, pretty much by a country mile. Biggest player Asia's ever produced, basically. I mean, Hugo Lloris won a World Cup with France and appeared in two European Championship finals. These guys just, they're not hungry. These are meant to be the leaders of our team and they're just not hungry. Mm. And when you take a few key hungry players out of the side for large chunks of this season, Romero's missed a good chunk of the season. Kulusevsky's definitely someone you can say stands up to be counted. He's been out for a chunk. Benton Kors had this horrible injury when he was the heartbeat of the team. We're down a whole bunch of leaders. Even Ben Davies and Emerson, these are guys that you can trust to put a shift in and to fight till the last second and cover every blade of grass. They've been out as well. And what we've been left with is the modern-day pointy-shouty bloke in Pierre-Emile <laughs> Hoybier and Eric, I can't head a ball despite being six foot three dire. I mean, we've really suffered for leadership. I thought we looked like we had more leadership in the side since when we had uh, Fraser Forster in goal than with Larice in the last few games. And actually, I think there's a good argument that if Fraser Forster had been in goal still, we'd have picked up more points in the last three games than we have with Larice back in goal because. I genuinely think he's a more commanding presence and someone that takes responsibility. And I know that's a big thing to say when one was at best on the outskirts of the England squad at his pomp and the other one captain France for a World Cup. But genuinely, I just... I'm looking at our players. I'm thinking, where's the leadership? Who's got balls Mm. right now? And I don't want to put that responsibility on Porro, who's just through the doors, or Perisic, who was basically just Conte's puppets, ventriloquist dummy, or Oliver Skip, who's just a kid, or even Longland and Juma, who, while they're good players who have had good careers, are just sort of loan signings who aren't going to be here next season. You're looking to Kane yeah. stand up to be counted. Lloris, Dyer, Son. The, those are the four players. And Hoybier. Those are the five players who should be dragging us through the mire right now. But I don't actually see any leadership in the slightest between the lot of them. None in the slightest. And that's why I don't think we can beat Newcastle. And that's why I think our season's ending so this weekend. So let me weekend. put this to you, Eddie, on that point. Say Kane goes this summer, which we all accept is a possibility. And Hugo is replaced, retires, whatever. We ship him out. I think a lot of people would suggest Hoiberg should be our captain. Would you go along with that? Or do you think we need to bring in a new captain or maybe challenge somebody else by giving them that responsibility and hoping they step up to the plate? It'll almost definitely be Eric Dyer. I'm not saying who you think it will be. I'm <laughs> saying who do you want it to be? Because I assume you'd rather Dyer's not a regular starter next season. Hoiberg statistically has had a good season. Yeah. And when you actually look at his performances, by and large, he's performed well, but he's also been pretty much an ever-present in a midfield that's been overrun constantly for 31 games straight. Yeah. So I don't think he... I, I actually think he's an all right player, and I'm more than happy having him as one of five options for sort of central midfield, water carrier, whatever you want to call it. But I don't think he stands up to be counted particularly. I just think he beats his mm. chest and, and occasionally plays with a bandage around his head. But... I don't think he's this Roy Keane type figure yeah. some would make him out to be, not in the slightest. And I, I do like him, but no, I don't see him as a leader in the slightest. I, I see Skip as more of a leader, to say Maybe. the truth. Yeah. I think Skip, I think Skip, when he goes after the ball in the middle of the pitch, sets a good example to everyone around him. It's just that he's still got an experience working against him, so he's making errors and overcommitting yeah. a lot of the time and, and getting done for it. But I really feel like, I'd say Benton calls a leader. I'd say Romero is the leader. Romero's so a good shot, I, 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 I grimace a bit when Romero rolls around like he's been shot, mm. or, or when he, when he, um, yeah, or when he uh, makes a stupid challenge. And you know how much I lay into him a few weeks ago, but him, Benton, Is there anyone else I can think of? I wouldn't give it to someone like Kulusevski just because captains as wingers is is risky business. But <laughs> okay. Yeah, one of the two. Well, you, you don't want a captain out wide on the I, pitch. You, don't, you want it something central. I don't like central, a goalkeeper like captain, personally. Buck. I've always found that really odd. Just logistically. Yeah. and It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'd say so too. I'd yeah. say so too. I mean, you'd want Kane to be the captain, but he may well mm. be off. So yeah, I think it's one of the two South Americans, Benson Corral. I think someone that's skip. He's very good, and I think he's got a bright future, but he's not that kind of prodigy level that you think he's going to be the core of our team for the next 15 years, guaranteed. He's not like a young Steven Gerrard or something. He could be, 
but I don't think he's quite at that level where you say you're our captain, step up to the plate and, and boss this team. What do you think, Sox? If you had to pick a captain out of the leftovers next season, I don't think we have anybody really that is the cross section of they're so good that they almost start by default. Yeah. Like it's really bizarre when the captain doesn't start the majority of games. So I would rule Hoiberg out on that basis. Hmm. Then there are a few that we mentioned that have only been here for about six 12 18 months not that that's a problem i mean it's been done at clubs but at the same time it's sort of indicative of where we are and then the rest of them that you look at as potential leaders the closing the word potential like they are too young oliver skip at 25 possibly but not at 22 yeah what i would say is that there's a big difference between a captain and a leader i don't know yeah. if having the armband means that you're a leader on the pitch and we talk about having leaders generally i don't really care who wears the armband i i kind of see it as something that's very perfunctory i don't think it particularly matters mm-hmm. what we should be looking at doing is bringing in the right characters because there's only one of them there's only leaders. one of them that can wear the armband but that doesn't mean you can't have two three four five six of them across the pitch i mean you mentioned yeah. roy Keane. Oh, roy Keane, the only leader the whole team was captains Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, the Man United. I know I'm crossing eras a little bit here, but you'd look at the entire Man United back line. You think of the, the best Premier League team you've ever seen, and it's probably mm. one of their sides. And the entire back four or five, you could have said, okay, Van der Sar could be captain. Yeah. Patrice Ever could have Cantor. been captain. Man could, yeah, every yeah. single one of them. No. But, uh, and going further back, you've got Brian yeah. Robson, Gary Pallister, and Steve yeah. Bruce was um, captain. playing with yeah. Roy yeah, Absolutely. So, I don't think it really matters. It'll be a symbolic thing. I think Elio's right. It'll probably be dire just because he has captains quite a few times. He's been here a while. Mm. He's a centre-back with a decent position for it. He's not the worst player in the world and he'll play often enough. Hoiberg will kind of probably be the vice-captain. But I think the conversation, I suppose, is more shining a light on the lack of leaders. And that is the the bigger worry for me over who's going to wear the armband. Including, and importantly, a leader from the dugout as well. I think we need somebody who can take control of that dressing room for sure. So, hmm. Go and sign three leaders this summer who are actually good players as well. Go and get... Go and get Max Kilman, Jordan Pickford, James Madison. Madison. Leads, James Madison example. and Pickford are I both leaders. Yeah. Ma- Madison's a leader and yeah, Jordan Pickford's definitely good a leader shout. as well. I'd w- bring those two in. Kilman's a very, very good young centre-back as well. So get those three mm. players in. They'll transform that first yeah. team. But if we go for bargain basements, <laughs> then we'll, we'll deserve It all sounds so simple when you put it like that, doesn't it? It just sounds like... It's simple for other clubs. It's just not simple for Spurs. No, let's not get into that. Or we'll be here another half an hour, shall we? Uh, well, I don't know about you guys, but I think we're going to beat Newcastle for the sole reason that there's no reason why we should beat Newcastle when everything's pointing to us losing. <laughs> and that's exactly when Spurs pull out a performance. Maybe it's too much pressure on them when it's a game that we're expected to win comfortably. Uh, the problem is, of course, that Newcastle are not the only team we have to worry about. We've talked about Man United, who are, of course, ahead of us. And there's Aston Villa closing on us. And, of course, Brighton, both of whom have managers that I think we could do a lot worse than taking, whether we'd have any hope or not. Socks, what do you think of our top four credentials? Do they exist? If you had to give me a percentage or an odds, how, how likely do you think it is that we will finish fourth or higher this season? Uh, do they exist? No percentage, zero. I suppose one <laughs> zero one, just because it is technically mathematically a possibility. But in my heart of hearts, I don't have to dig very deep to tell you the answer. No, and we don't deserve it because you can normally yeah. tell across the season that you get the feeling at what level you're at. And we're obviously not a top four side. We're not good enough. We don't deserve it. Simple as. I think for me, I'm Fair already enough. looking at it and going, okay, is it going to be fifth? I, I, I believe the top seven get into Europe. So I think I'm right in saying that fifth or sixth is Europa League and I think seventh might be Conference League. I think for me, the more interesting conversation is, do we want Europe? Do we only want a specific type of Europe? If it's Conference League, do we go, okay, let's just down tools, get eighth, have a season out of Europe next year because the new manager, if you give him a clear midweek every single week, across the season, that almost adds up to like another full preseason and then some. You're giving them the yeah. chance possible yeah. to hit the ground running to implement their system. So I almost think we should... Uh, I don't want to be too negative. It's not pleasant to come on here every week or every other week or however often I will be invited on to go, no, I think we're shit. I don't think we're going to finish in the top four. I think we're going to lose every game from now to the end of the season. Our team is filled with a bunch of weak crybabies who aren't, aren't <laughs> to wear the armband. I don't know if you can tell I'm really... That is quite fun. I had fun. I had fun <laughs> listening to that. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that's quite fun. <laughs> that's, my, that's my inner Elio coming out. But <laughs> the reality of the situation is, is that's where we're at. So again, like I said before, yeah. I, I'm already looking towards next season. So for me, it's like I, I'm almost in a Europa League or bust. That's where I've landed. If we can get fifth or sixth, fine. Anything other than that, let's just jettison ourselves out of Europe and 
just yeah. start this whole thing all over again. I think we can all agree we don't want to do any kind of Europa Conference League nonsense this time around, do we? I don't think anyone cares about that, and it's only going to be a drain on our team. Speaking of mathematical possibilities, I saw a tweet yesterday from a, an Arsenal fan that had they beaten West Ham, this was before the game, but had they beaten West Ham, they would have officially been mathematically guaranteed to finish ahead of Spurs and would be <laughs> celebrating their St. Tottenham's Day, which brings me on to another conversation that I've seen discussed quite a lot. A lot of Arsenal fans now trying to claim that should they not win the title this year, given the lead that they have had for so much of it and how long they've spent on top, it won't be bottling the title. They're, they're saying this isn't a bottle job and it won't count as a bottle job. Elio, given what you've had to hear from Arsenal fans ever since the times that we put the pressure on Leicester or challenged Man City or whoever for the title and were never actually top of the league for any significant amount of time, what do you have to say to uh, such Arsenal fans? If Arsenal don't win this title, then it is the single biggest bottle job <laughs> in Premier League history yeah. by a country mile. If if we were bottle jobs for being second all season and not winning the league on two occasions, yeah. then them being top since August and not winning the league, having spent a lot of money on their squad as well, yeah, that would be the biggest bottle job this league has ever seen. Bar none. I do remember a statistic a little while ago. I I think it might have been Christmas actually, where Arsenal had such a lead in the title that only one team had ever thrown away that big a lead, and it was actually Arsenal. I don't remember yeah. which season it was, but it was Arsenal. I was surprised there wasn't Newcastle from the I will love it season that we all remember when okay. they were, I think, 10 points clear. Like I said last season, <laughs> it would be incredibly woolly. Socks, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the conversation around it is really reductive. It's the sort of thing that Elio would describe as a conversation from a FIFA playing eyebrow pierce, slit hair, FIFA <laughs> generation type thing. I think it's like it's how he's quoted it in the past. I, yeah. I think the problem is, is that online where most these conversations happen is where nuance goes to die so if you win mm. a few games you're the greatest team since 1970s brazil if you lose then it's a bottle job and it's a case of you can't just lose games anymore and you can't just win games anymore it's either one extreme or another with that having been said to elio's point i remember us winning 12 of the last 13 games in that 16 17 season and the one we lost it was absolutely bottle job central and it was bottling at West Ham it was the West Ham 1-0 away I think we'd won something like nine in a row at that mm. point that was the 10th we happened to lose and then we'd won the three remaining or whatever it was and it was bottling a title race we were never first in the only thing we bottled in recent seasons was the second place in the Leicester season to give that yeah final. Basically, a very disheartened side who's given everything at the whole Battle of the Bridge situation and then been left a shell afterwards, phoned it in till the end of the season and finished third in, instead of seconds. Like, we, we didn't bottle those. We were never actually, we didn't have anything to bottle. If Arsenal do not win this title, it will just be a disgrace on their part. I mean, I'd almost say stackable offence. <laughs> <laughs> They're not listening, Elio. You don't have to try and fish so hard. I have to admit, this whole thing, this whole thing is just, I, I feel like I've been exposed because for so many weeks now, I've been, I don't want to say lying because I believe what I was saying, but I've been telling everyone, you know what? I think it'll be a good thing for football in a weird way if Arsenal actually win the league because, you know, Man City are horrible and oil money and the rest of it. I really don't want Arsenal to win the league. Now that it actually looks like they might not, I'm really relishing the possibility that they don't. And I know that could come back to bite me because there's still a lot to play for and it will hinge on that game at Man City Stadium. But I really don't want Arsenal to win the league and I, I'm prepared to admit that now. Yeah, the emotional point would be, yes, obviously we don't want to see them win the league. It will be a nightmare, yeah. blah, blah, blah. The the other point would be, we can't really control what they do and we need to focus on ourselves. And that's the very kind of sensible diplomatic point. But at the same time, you look at it and let's imagine a scenario in which they finish second and we finish obviously outside the top four. If I were to yeah. ask you, who do you think is going to have a better season next season, who has a better coach at the moment or any coach, whose recruitment yeah. is going to be better in the summer and who you'd back to win a trophy next year and who's going to be playing in the Champions League next year. Unfortunately, the answer to all those questions is Arsenal. So on the yeah. one hand, we will absolutely celebrate. I will be there. It's like that Pep Guardiola meme. I will be there. No me, matter what. Be there, make no the Mbappe meme. I don't have any social media accounts, but I will set them up to bully children on the internet. <laughs> I will absolutely love every single... Make no mistake. I am ready. I am I'm ready and waiting for it. However... You will me. love it. <laughs> love it. I will love it if I bully a child. 
<laughs> episode title. Thank, thank you. Said about uh, Sanchez, but just we need to edit the stuff I said about bullying Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, bullying is only okay when it's towards Arsenal fans on the internet. Okay, we ten years ago, just FYI. But the- I mean, <laughs> if I was an Arsenal fan, then I'd bully myself. That's how. <laughs> but long term aside, I do think we have to look at it and go, okay, we enjoy ourselves for five minutes, a bit like the end actually of that fifteen sixteen season where they celebrated finishing above us because we blew it on the final day. But it was yeah. very clear which team is trending in the right direction. So I do think if it, if it is to happen, we enjoy that short-term joy, but we can't forget where we are because come the summer, do we have a coach? Who are we going to sign on next season? We don't need another season of this pain where irrespective of what they're doing, we are here every week talking about the same thing again and again and again. Well, I'm getting that barrel out again, Sox. I'm scraping, scraping down the bottom of it. What you just described could very much be the inverse of just last season, where people were looking at Arsenal as the team just outside of the big shot places, and we were the ones pushing on and maybe about to, you know, with a good coach and about Stop to go. Stop trying to run. inject positivity in this. Just wrap <laughs> the show up. It's to. been over an hour. I have to. I have to. No, um, no, you don't. A couple of quick updates before I do that. First of all, Liverpool, unfortunately for Dave, are now two 0 up. Uh, Anfield. I, yeah. I, I, that has happened very quickly because the last one time I looked... One of the worst VAR decisions you'll ever see oh, really? as well. Oh, well, sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that, Dave. Um, I expect you might be trying to log back on as we speak. <laughs> and also, I was hoping Dave would be on for this because this made me laugh. A tweet from all Leeds, aren't we? Probably just blame Spurs if we go down. They rolled over and allowed Everton, Southampton, Bournemouth, West Ham, Leicester and Wolves to take easy points off them, yet fight for their lives to come back from 3-2 down to beat us 4-3 in the last 15 minutes like it's a fight. Final. Thought you'd like that one, Dave, when you're listening back in a few days' time. Brilliant. Well, I think that is more or less everything on the agenda for this mm. week, as you not so subtly hinted there, Elio. Follow us on Twitter at Plus Dave Podcast. Follow me at Plus Dave Dags. Follow Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. And Sarks, we did this last time. You don't have a Twitter account, do you? You're no, but if I call for Twitter. in the next four or five weeks, then you remind know. me, I'll let you know, and come join me in the bullying of all the children. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to it. Fantastic. I thrive on bullying children. <laughs> I will be doing nothing of the sort. Anyway, please join us next week where we will, of course, be looking back on the Newcastle game, come what may, and previewing whatever game is after that, which I have not made the effort to find out because, to quote Elio from last week, I don't care. And by then, we'll probably be well and truly out of the race for top four anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But anyway, join us anyway. We'll try and entertain you. Hopefully, there'll be something good in there. And today, we'll be back for the full episode. But until then... You stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll see you next week. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! They've done it!